Hey everyone, welcome to Fostering Excellence in Agility, the podcast. I'm your host, competitor, coach, and mentor, Megan Foster. I help agility enthusiasts focus on the small details of training and behavior while still having a clear understanding of their big picture goals. Join me as I take you through key elements of dog agility training, competing, and teaching, and how you can take action today to start improving your skills within the sport. Let's get started. Okay, episode six, I'm going to take you through how I troubleshoot my handling when I'm working on technique training or sequencing with my own dogs or with my clients' dogs. Let's dive in. I have this formula that I tend to go through because when it comes to sequencing and teaching the dog how to follow your physical cues, we need to be very careful that we're not always assuming that it's something within our physical cue that needs to be changing. And we also need to make sure that we're not telling the dog that they're wrong when they're actually correct. So we have to have a really fine balance of understanding when it is a handling issue and when it's a dog training issue. So if we're always assuming that the handling skill is at least fluent without the dog. We, we are kind of starting any technique training or sequence training with a pretty good bet that the handler has put in the effort to become fluent with all of these skills before we're sequencing them. It's really common in the sport of dog agility to sequence at a really high level, much higher than what we're seeing in competition. I am all for this if all of the team members possess these skills. It's not really fair to either the dog or the handler if you are kind of pushed into the deep end of a sequence that you don't have all the skills for, you don't have the handling skills, you don't have the knowledge to even know which handling skills to use in which places. And it's certainly not fair to ask a dog for you to navigate them to allow you to navigate them when you don't know where you're going or how you're going to get there, okay? So just keep that in mind that when you are sequencing, you want to make sure the sequences are within your skill set and pushing that skill set a little bit. And we can talk about that a little bit more later when we look at this troubleshooting protocol from the coaching perspective. So the first thing is that if I'm technique training and something goes wrong, so something unexpected happens, the dog breaks commitment or the dog takes the wrong obstacle, I'm going to look first at my reinforcement strategy. And this applies most to when you are technique training. So when you're introducing a new technique to the dog and you're trying to make sure that the dog's behavior matches your own cue. So the physical cue that you are already fluent and well rehearsed at. I want to look at how I'm directly reinforcing that behavior because if I'm using a lure, maybe the lure is in the wrong place. Or maybe if I'm dropping it on the line, I'm dropping it at the wrong time and it's causing the dog to make a mistake. Or if it's pre-placed as a distraction, maybe the dog isn't fluent enough in that reinforcement strategy for you to be able to leave a toy really far down the line and the dog make a lead change away from the toy to get to the jump, right? So that's 
something that we have to at least consider is that the reinforcement strategy might be causing the problem that's happening. So if something unexpected happens, refusal, wrong course, maybe even knocked bars, things like that, we're talking about handling. So those are typically the mistakes that we see in handling. Check the reinforcement strategy. Make sure that it's the correct placement for the stage of the training that you are in and make sure that it it makes sense for the behavior that you are looking for and test that the dog actually understands how to have that reinforcement delivered in that way. A lot of times I see dogs really struggle with having a pre-placed reward as a distraction because they're just not sure that they should ignore it. They're so gravitated towards it. And this is using a pre-placed reward as a distraction in my training is one of the most valuable tools I have added in my toolbox. So I really, just a side note, put that at the top of your list to get comfortable with using. So once I look at the reinforcement strategy, then I have to ask myself, is my cue what I think it is? I'm just going to double check, right? I don't want to start changing my dog's behavior until I know that my own behavior is actually what I want it to be. So even though I've practiced this a million times without my dog and I feel really comfortable with performing this particular skill without my dog and that speed without my dog, I'm just going to check my video one more time to make sure that what's happening is what I want to be happening with my handling. And there's a couple of ways that we can do this. If it's a refusal, I would 100% um, check the video. Make sure that you were connected. Make sure there's not something kind of tiny detail in there that needs to be changed. You know, are you using the correct arm placement? Are, you, are your feet pointing in the correct direction? And are you connected? Those are kind of the, t- the main things. We can also, if a wrong course occurs, we can also decide to, on the next repetition, I'm going to handle my dog to that wrong course. So if I wanted my dog to turn over number jump two, and I was going to use a reverse spin for that jump, and there's a tunnel on the dog's path after jump two that I want them to ignore. If my dog goes into that tunnel anyways, when I didn't expect them to, my very next repetition, I'm going to handle them to that tunnel. And now I have two very different cues that I can look at the video and compare. And then I can ask myself, why did my dog think that the first way I cued this jump meant the tunnel? And does he understand the difference between those two cues? That can be so enlightening. And whether that's something that I'm doing for myself, it's definitely going to be the strategy I choose for any client that's working with me in person or online. I'm always going to ask you to handle to that wrong course. So you, the dog went off course, you handled to that off course obstacle, and now you have those two cues to compare on the video. So now you've decided, yeah, the cue was wrong. Well, now how do we decide what was wrong about it? (laughs) Don't worry. We have a formula. First, look at the timing. Because 
everything can be perfect from the top of your head to your tippy tippy toes, but if the timing is off, it's not going to matter what a perfect handler you are and how well executed that reverse spin or front cross or rear cross or anything is. If it's not on time, the dog is not going to be able to react to it. So first we're going to look for the timing. I'm going to look at that jump number two. That's the jump that I was looking at to get a turn. And I'm going to ask, where was my dog looking when they landed number two? And if I, if I see that my dog was looking at the wrong obstacle when they landed, I'm going to then compare that to what my body looks like when they landed. So when they landed, did my, what was my body telling them? And then I'm going to work backwards to what was my body doing when the dog was taking off for that jump? And then I'm going to work one more stride back. What was my body doing one stride before my dog was taking off? Because that one stride before the dog was taking off was their final decision-making moment. By the time they get to their takeoff point, the dog has already decided how they're taking that jump and how they take that jump determines which obstacle they take next. So I'm going to work that back all the way to at the very at the latest one stride before takeoff and I'm going to say, well, was I giving the cue that I needed to be giving at this moment or was it happening later? Because if it happens later and the dog goes off course, well then I just need to change my timing of the cue. So if you look at the video and you see that it's the timing, you go back to the original question, you fix the timing, you fix the problem, you move on with your life. What if you watch the video and your timing is great and your dog still made that mistake? They went off course or maybe the problem now is that there's a refusal. Have no fear. We're going to first check that your motion was correct. Was your motion moving in the correct direction when your dog was committing to jump two? Okay. Were you moving parallel to the intended path of the next obstacle when your dog was deciding how to take the current one? So that means when my dog is on approach to number two, I need to be moving in the direction of number three so that he can parallel the, the future path that I'm showing after he takes number two. Okay, so you're gonna check your motion first. Then you're going to check your position. Was my position relative to the dog and relative to the obstacle cueing what I thought it should be cueing, right? So sometimes when we're too far ahead, we're cueing more extension than we need. So if I were too far on the landing side, maybe my position was cueing the wrong course tunnel. Maybe. If my position was too far on the takeoff side, I was queuing too tight of a turn, so my dog missed number three, right? So we need to check motion first, then position. Then we're going to check where you are looking. Because while I do want my dogs to be forgiving in that I am human and I will disconnect and look away at very, very poor times, Sometimes I want them to rely on me most of the time. I want them to trust me as their navigator. So we check where we're looking and making sure that the connection loop is maintained. And if there's something that we can change about that and improve about that, that we do that on the next rep. Then these are the 
next we're going to get into the less relevant handling cues that and what I mean by that is that if your motion position and you're looking in the right place are correct and you, and then you're also have good timing you're probably good right so usually if you understand how to complete a specific handling technique front cross reverse spin rear cross doesn't matter what it is if you understand the elements and you're moving in the correct direction your position is correct, and you're looking in the right place, all of the other pieces of that technique tend to fall into place. Okay? However, sometimes there can be mistakes with where your chest is pointing. I'm just going to say that if you're looking in the right place, your chest is usually pointed in the right place. They're pretty well connected. Uh, and then we can also look at the direction of your feet, what your arms are doing, and what your voice is doing. These last three, your feet, your arms, your voice, those tend to be the ones that dogs look for as like tiebreakers. They're like, all of those other really important things are saying a couple of different things. So we're going to try to get some information from those other things, from your feet, your arms, and your voice. But like I said, if those top four, if your motion, your position, your eyes, your chest are kind of working towards the same goal, the others don't have to be as specific and as precise, okay? But of course, you can look at them. Some dogs are going to be more sensitive to the direction of the feet. Sometimes in some situations, our feet are really relevant and really important. Sometimes our dogs can be more sensitive to our arm movements because then maybe they are more handler focused so they're looking up for where the reward is coming from maybe you had been rewarding from your hands so your your hands are more relevant and also what your arms are doing does impact where your chest is pointing so we do want to eliminate as much conflicting information as we can within those handling elements so you've gone through the thing Most of the time, if there's a problem with your handling, you're going to get it solved in motion, position, and eyes, but feel free to check each of the handling elements, and then you're going back to the course and problem solved. You fixed the little bit in your handling that needed to be fixed, and on with your day. But what if you look at the video and you're like, nope, this looks exactly like it looked like in the walkthrough. I feel really good about this, and I really feel like I should expect the dog to be following me. Now we have to consider maybe the dog is missing some skill or he had this skill previously, but it has run out of fluency. It's out of money in its bank, so to speak. And this can really happen for both keeping commitment and following the handling. So if keeping commitment to obstacles is something your dog struggles with, it's probably one of those things that you're going to be constantly having to refill their bucket on for a long time. Same goes for really high obstacle-focused dogs. Getting them to consistently follow the handling means that you're going to have to be pitching a lot of money in that bank account for a long time. So if the dog has gotten a refusal and we've decided it's not the reinforcement strategy, and it's not the handling, I'm going to put that dog back into a keeping commitment context. 
I'm going to use reward placement to ensure without any doubt that the dog will commit to the obstacle. Okay, so that usually means kind of just taking a step back to using a pre-placed reward as a lure so that you can rehearse the correct timing and the correct handling with knowing that the dog will jump. Because what I want to avoid 100% of the time, if I can, is by escalating my cue in a way that, quote, helps the dog. Okay, so usually what that looks like when your dog gets a refusal is we go a little closer to the jump or we wait a little longer, right? Neither of those things teaches the dog to maintain commitment while you run away, okay? It's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine to hear, well, his commitment will get better as he gets experienced, I would like their commitment to get better through training. I would like their experience to be maintaining commitment while I move away to the next obstacle. And I find that that's really a tough spot that a lot of handlers get stuck in is going closer to obstacles and waiting longer. And it's really hard to get unstuck because going closer and waiting longer becomes your dog's cue to commit and stay committed. So then as the dog gets faster, your cues are now late, and now you have a dog that tends to go towards more wrong. And when I've realized that my dog is leaning more towards going off course, I need to then take that moment and put the sequence back into a following the handling context. So this is where I do want to use my pre-placed reward as a distraction that I handle my dog to, okay? So I want to eliminate the major distraction, which here would be the tunnel, and I want to insert a pre-placed reward as a distraction that I can handle too. So I'm going to make sure that the dog can follow my handling away from the reward in order to get the reward, and then I'm going to work my way back to working with the actual off-course potential. So then you've gone back to skill building. You've put your dog back into those kind of foundation contexts within whatever technique training or sequencing that you are doing. Now what? If you've solved the problem, excellent. You should have solved the problem. You may have run out of reps or time to know that you've solved the problem today, But this is actually my preference. I would rather come back to this same question or similar question again in a new, fresh training session so that I can see my dog's response to this handling when they're brand new, fresh, ready to roll again. It's not super satisfying to me if I get one final, that was, quote, perfect rep at the end of kind of a longish training session or a longish training day when I'm most satisfied when I can come back to that same training question, nail it, and then I can go, okay, that's solved. If I come back to it again the next day and I have the same problem, this is also great information because this usually means that It's a history problem. So somewhere in my reinforcement history or the dog's reinforcement history, there is a misunderstanding. And I need to take a step back and look at this 
history of whatever this handling technique is, whatever this issue is in the dog's ability to follow the handling or stay committed, I need to look at the big picture. I need to look at how I've traditionally reinforced the dog for this behavior. I need to look at the entire context. Could there be some leftover baggage from a specific location that's causing this? Is this the work of some outside trigger? People around, dogs around, birds around, noises. I need to take a bigger step back and decide what's actually influencing this problem, what's keeping this problem alive. Because if we're to that point, if you've been through this whole flow chart of troubleshooting and you still have a problem, you're not going to handle your way out of this one. You're going to have to think and plan and probably do a little rebuilding to get yourself back on track. And I know that's not really the fun answer or anything that anyone wants to hear, but I hope it's also encouraging that if you do run into that problem, it's not, well, you just need to be a better handler. Well, no, there's only so much better handling can get you, and that's just reality. So work your way through this process, starting with reinforcement strategy, handler skills, dog skills, and then see where you are at and then take it from there. I would love to see this troubleshooting process in action. So if you do have a training session where you're able to apply this and you post it on social media, please tag me. Or if you want to post it in the Synergy Dog Sports community on Mighty Networks, I would love to see it. So how does this process help us as trainers? Well, hopefully the last 20 minutes have kind of shed a lot of light on that. But basically, it gives you a formula. And most of my clients, they want a formula. And while I can't always tell you exactly the, it's not, it may not always go as seamlessly as I described it here today, but it's a really nice starting point. And a lot of times, the most, most of the time, we can problem solve and troubleshoot our own handling in this way. And that's just the order that I go in because it feels the most fair to the dog and it forces me to focus on the big picture and not just make small adjustments in that moment to make it go right in that moment, but it forces me to take that step back and make sure it's going to work big picture, that I can come back the next day and still get it right which is directly impacting the way you compete. Because you have to be able to go into a competition and know that when you do X handling, you get Y response from the dog and everything goes exactly how it should. But if in training, you're making small adjustments to just get through that one training moment, you don't go into the competition knowing what solved your problem. And that's really the... Most important thing here is that you need to know how how to get your dog from point A to point B, and you need to know why your dog follows your cues. If you can understand those two things, you have a lot more uh, flexibility in how you handle and the decisions that you make on the agility course. And then obviously, if you are coaching and teaching agility, this is exactly how I take my dog's through their training, and it's how I take my students through 
their training as well. And having this kind of flow chart in your head as you are teaching, as a coach, you can kind of go through the flow chart for them. You can check while it's happening. Yeah, the reinforcement is there. Hopefully you've coached them to have the reinforcer in the most optimal place. So you've already, you're one step ahead there. Then as you're watching them handle, you can see, is their motion correct? Is their position correct? Is their timing correct? You can be working through this flow chart while they're just doing one rep in front of you. And then if you know and you're pretty certain that their handling is correct, you can just jump straight into dog training mode, get this problem solved, have that success rate super high, and then move on. And also make a note and go, well, you know, most of my students had the same problem. Next week, we're going to work on something similar. And I'm going to see if I can tie this into a more cohesive lesson. Okay, so long story short, you can work through this and kind of solve your own handling pieces without sacrificing precision and long-term success. Like I said, I would love to see your training. So if you would like to share that with me on social media, please, please, please tag me. That's all for today. We'll talk more next week. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and leave me a review. If you'd like to support this podcast, head over to synergydogsports.com slash community to access bonus content and to get your questions answered via podcast episodes and other social media content. If you'd like to know more about what I'm up to and what's coming up, make sure to bookmark my website, www.synergydogsports.com.